Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. I'm going to continue in the teaching of 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to do my best to get through the notes that I've prepared pretty quickly so that you all can go watch the Astros win the World Series. Come on, y'all are people of faith. All right, so 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 6 tonight. Um, We're going to try to get through chapter 6 and even into 7 if time allows. Uh, We'll start in verse 1. Chapter 6, I'm sorry, yeah, chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Move down to verse 4. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Uh, How many of you watch shows like uh, People's Court or Judge Judy? I try not to make a habit of it, but once in a while I catch that show. And I always think it's really sad and really tragic when family members are on those shows suing family members, like a mother suing a son or a son suing a mother. Um, because I just think, man, y'all couldn't have handled this another way. Your family members, I know some things are much more complicated than they come across, but it just seems like that you would try to keep that, avoid that kind of situation as much as possible within a family. But how sad is it when the family members of God's family go to those lengths to settle disputes? You know, we're, we're people of God and we have the wisdom of God. You know, Paul is fully convinced that when a believer has the life-altering counter with Jesus Christ and Christ comes to dwell on the inside of them, that then they receive the mind of Christ and therefore giving them access to knowledge that no unbeliever has. He goes on in the scripture to even talk about the least of the worldly wisdom, I mean, of godly wisdom is greater than the greatest of the worldly wisdom because we have access to a wisdom that is untapped by the world. And so we shouldn't be going to the world's systems to settle disputes among brothers. We should be able to have somebody among our family that can help us settle these things. Um, I used to pray all the time, Lord, give me wisdom beyond my years. Lord, give me wisdom beyond my education, and he really did. He's given me wisdom in situations I didn't know how to handle. I don't know how anybody is married or raises kids without the wisdom of God these days. We need it. And then there's the issue of our witness. John 13, 35 says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does the world think about us when we're showing up at court duking it out? with one another when we're supposed to be the example of love in the earth. Paul goes on to say, Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law one against another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? In other words, he's saying it would be more beneficial to you to count your losses than to handle something like that. You know, Pastor Eric and I have always made it a habit to go to the Word when we have situations we can't handle, and we've put this into full force in our life, and I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. We've had situations where, well, one example was we bought a young couple a car one time. We put up the money. 
the deal was that they were going to start making payments to us. We took out a loan for that car. We didn't have the money to lend them. We took out a loan in our names for that car. Well, the couple made, I'm not even sure, a whole payment. They made half a payment the first month. The next month they gave us like 40 bucks. And then, you know, from there on out it kind of trickled out. Now, they showed up with new shoes once in a while. They showed up with new clothes once in a while, but they couldn't make their car payment. And let me tell you what that does when someone owes you money, and that's how it's handled. Well, we went to the Word, and we just decided that it would be best if we relinquished that debt. Now, remember, we took out a loan for that car. We didn't have the money, so here we are every month making a payment to this loan that we took out for this young couple. Meanwhile, that car was trashed. It got left on the side of the road, and nobody was using it, and we're making payments on it. But we knew that because of those feelings that were coming up in us when we would see them show up with new shoes or we would see them show up with no, new clothes and we hadn't gotten even one payment yet and we're still making these payments, we knew that we had to release it in order to salvage that relationship and in order to be an expression of God's love. And we also did learn a lesson. We don't, we don't uh, lend things to people anymore. We don't give anything to anybody that we can't afford just to give and let go of. Amen? So you can learn a lesson along the way. We've also had the issues where we've been tempted to defend ourselves. We had several years ago um, a couple, two couples that left our church, and they decided that an all-out assault on Pastor Eric and Heather was necessary. And I don't know if some of you were around back then and received the thousands of emails every day, but that's what was happening. Eric was out of the country. My in-laws had a death in the family they were dealing with, and every morning I would wake up with 8,000 new emails, all just an all-out assault. None of it was true, but that didn't matter. It was still right in my face every day. And we had the opportunity at that point. We had people defending us left and right, and it was precious, just the unity that it brought. I mean, the Lord really used it for our benefit. But we had the opportunity and we had the right to defend ourselves, honestly. I mean, we could have very easily said, what are you doing? None of that is true, and anybody that knows us knows that. But we decided we went to the Word, and we just let the Lord be our defense. And let me tell you that God can handle things much better than we can. And so I'm not saying this to you to say that it's easy, but I'm telling you that you will be blessed if you put these things into practice. There's no need to ever, with a brother or a sister, well, I won't say no need to ever, because there may be a, a special situation. But if all, if all possible, avoid that kind of dispute with a brother or sister in Christ. And there are situations where you may need legal counsel. So if it's necessary, take that action. But if at all possible, avoid that. Let's move on down to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. There's a lot of different people that like this verse. Some may have used it in arguments against you. Um, but verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. <gasps> what are you saying? Well, let's go back to the first part of the verse where it says, the unrighteous will not inherit. This is not talking about believers. This is talking about unbelievers, the unrighteousness. 
or the unrighteous. And then it starts labeling what types of people he's talking about. And then in verse 11, Paul says, and such were some of you prior to getting saved. Remember, you fit into that category somewhere. And you may can measure yourself against some of the words in that category and go, well, I'm not as bad as them. But God put it all in the same category. And such were some of you, but you were washed and you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Once you were solely only able to identify with the flesh and the actions of the flesh, but once you became born again, you became a new creation, able to identify with the Spirit of the living God and no longer identify only with those acts committed by the flesh. Paul wasn't even implying that these people were completely free of these types of behavior. If you look and study it all in the Corinthian church, they were far from it. And we saw in the chapters before when Pastor Eric taught that they were still practicing. Remember the guy with his, his stepmom? Wasn't it his stepmom? Uh, so, you know, they were still actively pursuing some of these things. But what he was letting them know is that he no longer considered them idolaters or drunkards or such. He was bringing them to the re realization and the recognition that Christians... Sin could no more make them a sinner than the righteous act could make them righteous. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin's a bad thing and can lead to bad consequences and should be avoided at all costs. But those who are born again are no longer in the flesh, even though at times you may walk after the flesh. You are now full of the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit is there with you to lead you and guide you into fruitfulness. You no longer have to be tempted by the carnality that your flesh once led you into. When you made Jesus Lord of your life, did you just make him the Lord of your eternal life, or did you make him the Lord of every area of your life? Did you make him Lord of your conversation? Did you make him Lord of your marriage? Did you make him Lord of your parenthood? Did you make him Lord of your career? How about Lord of your habits? How does your life reflect the Lordship that you gave Jesus? Let everything in your life reflect the Spirit of God that dwells in you. Verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul is acknowledging here that a Christian can approach life and see a big gray area. You know, we have those things in our lives that are absolutely commandments from God. We know that the Lord does not want you to enter into certain behaviors, but then there's those things that might be permissible, but are they, are they profitable for you? Are they bringing fruit to your life or adding to your witness to those who are around you? This, this gray area that Christians uh, tend to walk in sometimes can be very, a very divisive area. You know, it, could, it can be argumentative among brothers. It can be one of those things that we, that we unnecessarily fight about. But I believe that when you, when you house the Spirit of God the way that you do as a believer, that you can know, you can have the knowledge of what things are going to be ben beneficial for your life and what things are just permissible. And let's try to avoid that, that side of the gray area. Let's not walk on the permissible side. Let's not see what we can get away with, but what, let's see what things are going to bring a light to our life and reflect God's love. 
Um, you know what will help you with that is a continual renewal of your mind in the Word of God. If you stay in the Word of God, you can actually see the mirror of who you're to be in the Word of God, and it can encourage you, and that's what's going to be pulled out of you. You know, your life is always going to be a reflection of that that you pour into it. If you spend more time downloading the garbage than you do the good, then that's what your life is going to reflect. So I would encourage you, spend a lot of time in the Word, renewing your mind to the Word. Um, let's see, where am I? Verse 13. I'm going to read verses 13 through 20. Oh, actually, I'm not going to read it. In verses 13, 13 through 20, Paul's mostly dealing with the Corinthian church who has um, equated uh, some of their appetites as humans with normal appetites like hunger. Like they talk about, you know, when we're hungry, we, we know that we should eat. We eat a meal and that satisfies our hunger. Well, when our sexual appetite is aroused, then we should feed that as well. And so he has to come and address this particular uh, issue with the church because they think that anytime their lust is desiring something that they should just feed it. And he talks about uh, bringing those things into to captivity. Um, but he does say in verse 18, I will bring this up because we have a lot of young people in the room tonight. And there are certain things that, that Paul will ensure that um, can be resisted. There's less of the flesh that, as a believer, you should be able to resist. But then there's things that Paul acknowledges that, you know what, there are some that are going to be a little bit harder to resist, and you should just flee them. And verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality, especially as a young person. That can be a trap for a, a, a good, well-meaning Christian young person is, is the, the lust of the flesh in that area. And so any chance you get, young people, flee sexual immorality. Just get out of any situation that could cause you to stumble in that direction. Give attention to the Holy Spirit that's with you and give Him the opportunity to lead you and direct you before you let anything or anyone else have the lead in your life. How can you, be know, how can you know if you're being led by the Spirit? Well, for one thing, the Spirit's always going to lead you to the good of others and never for selfishness. The Spirit will always lead you into generosity and not stinginess. The Spirit will lead you to live a generous life full of servanthood. And the more that your life reflects that, is going to be more evident that you're being led by the Spirit. And let's go ahead and move on to chapter 7. We're going to look at a perfect example of where we can put this selflessness to the test. Chapter 7 talks about the uh, relationship of marriage. All the married people said, Amen. Beginning in chapter 7, Paul says, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. He's talking about outside of marriage. Nevertheless, because of, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Single people, take that into consideration before choosing a mate. Who are you willing to give over the authority of your body? <laughs> Do not deprive one another except with the 
a consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and praying and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that this is a concession. This isn't an order of God that singleness is better than being married. He's just saying in his experience, he was able to remain single, remain celibate, and was therefore more, more productive for the kingdom of God for that, for that reason. But he says that that's a gift from God, and it is. If, if you have the gift to remain single and remain celibate your whole life, then yes, you probably will have a lot less distractions than the rest of us who are in uh, marriages and have children to raise and all of that. I'm just being honest. There's, I have friends in the ministry who have remained single, and they've been able to remain single and completely holy in that singality, and they have been able, they've had opportunities that people with wives and families wouldn't have. They, they're able to travel, uh, you know, for long amounts of time, and they don't have anybody that they have to come home to. It's true. They do have more opportunities in that manner, and that's what Paul's all about. He's all about the opportunity to minister, so he's saying it'd be better if you could just stay single if you have the ability to, but he does say it's a gift from God. Verse 8 says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So what Paul is saying is he's basically saying, you know, most people have the desire that comes with marriage, and so if you're that person, it is better for you to marry than to enter into any kind of sexual immorality that could come from trying to just remain unmarried, but, but be be wise, young people, even not so young single people. Be wise about who you enter into that marriage covenant with because it's, it's to be taken very seriously. Marriage is not to be taken lightly, no matter what our society tells us and no matter how many uh, drive-through weddings that we, we see now. It is to be taken very seriously. Um, and God does, does consider marriage a good thing. In Genesis 2.18, it says it's not good for man to be alone, and he gave him a companion. Verse 10 says, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Now Paul's making the distinction that this is a commandment from the Lord. This is not just his concession, but a commandment straight from the Lord. It says, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. That's strong. That is really strong. And what Paul is trying to let us know, what the Lord is trying to let us know, is how serious the sanctity of marriage is. You're not supposed to enter marriage lightly. It's supposed to be a forever thing. And now, just for those of you who, who have been through some things, like some of us have, let's move down to verse 26, because this isn't to be bring any condemnation. And also, let me just explain that this is not um, by any means if there's like an abuse situation or if a, say, a third party is brought into the marriage or a fourth or a fifth. You know, this is not to say you stay married regardless of any of that happening because it's not God's will for you to stay into a situation that's harmful for you or for your family. Um, so down in verse 26, it says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that if it is good, 
that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Again, Paul's just saying it would be easier if you just stayed put. Verse 32 says, but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And vice versa. He's just saying marriage enters you into a whole set of, another set of issues for your life. But he's saying that it's worth it. It is good for us to recognize that marriage is work. For anybody that's been married longer than five minutes, it's work, isn't it? A successful marriage is a lot of work, but it's worth it. And there's great reward in it. But Paul also wants us to recognize that, that there's an ease about being single. And so I think that the bottom line of, of what he's saying here is that God is in whatever situation you're currently in. Whether you're single, whether you're married for the first time or the sixth time, whatever your situation is right now, God is in it. Single people, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to remain single forever. That just means that right now, God can be in that situation. And Paul would really like for us to focus on God in our situation. Because the truth is, single people, if you are pursuing God instead of pursuing a mate, God can bring you that mate. God can bring you the, the Boaz. God can, he brought Eve to Adam. He brought Rebecca to Isaac. So pursue God with all your heart, and he'll bring the right mate to you. Um. You know, we tend to live in a grass is greener on the other side type mindset. You know, single people want to be married, and people that are married for a while think, man, it was so much easier when I was single. Or after they go through something with their spouse, they look at their single people and go, you don't have these issues. But we just do. And so I'm going to finish with this story. Hopefully it will encourage you. Okay, now I had a few guys that promised not to tell Pastor Eric if I let y'all out early tonight, so... I'm going to hold all of you to it. All right, this, this story is called The Stonecutter. Once upon a time, a stonecutter lived all alone. Though he had acquired great skills, he was very poor. He lived in a tiny bamboo hut and wore tattered clothing. One day, as the stonecutter worked with his hammer and chisel upon a huge stone, he heard a crowd gathering along the streets. By their shouts, he could tell the king was coming to visit his humble village. Joining in the procession, the stonecutter gazed on as the king, dressed in marvelous silk, was greeted by his subjects. Oh, how I wish I had the power and glory of the king, he thought. He has soldiers at his command. There's no one more powerful. His cry was heard in the heavens, and immediately the humble stonecutter was transformed into a powerful king. He found himself riding on a great horse, waving at the crowds of people who... Sorry... lost my story. Okay. Who had flocked to see him. This is power, he thought. As the summer progressed, however, the new king watched the effects of the heat upon his people. 
Men and animals became weary and plants withered under the powerful rays of the sun. As he looked at the sky, the new king realized that the sun was more powerful than any earthly ruler. How I wish I were as powerful as that, he thought. I wish I were the sun. Immediately his wish, wish was granted. The stonecutter relished his new role as the sun. He gloried in the power he felt as he surveyed the kingdoms below. As he sent his bright rays to earth, he watched kings and princes hide under their parasols. He watched as powerful warriors became weak under his gaze. Even the crops in the field were under his command. Then one day, a tiny cloud moved over the land, shielding the earth from the sun's bright rays. Seeing that, seeing that here was something more powerful, he thought, I want very much to be a cloud. Again, his wish was granted. Now he blocked the sun's rays and felt important. He gathered all his strength, becoming a giant cloud, and, beginning to, and began to pour down rain on the earth. Rivers formed where previously there were none, and water flooded the streets of the cities and the farmland. Everything, trees, animals, people, seemed to be awed by his power. Only the massive rocks were unswayed. There is nothing, he thought, as powerful as a rock. How I wish I were a huge stone. His wish was granted. As a stone, he remained motionless and powerful, unmoved by sun, wind, or rain. He felt exempt from all forces that shaped the existence of those around him. Then one day, a man approached, carrying a bag. When he stopped, he pulled out a chisel and a hammer and began to chip away at the rock. Realizing that the man with the tools was more powerful than any rock, he cried out, Oh, I want to be a stonecutter. Once again, the heavens heard his cry, and he became a stonecutter. Once again, he lived in a bamboo hut and made his living with hammer and chisel, and he was content. Don't let that be your situation before you're content. Be content in the situation you are, and glorify God in the situation that you're in. And study the word for your current situation and see how God can use you right where you are to be a minister to somebody else. Amen? Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.